This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. The second half of tonight's show, we'll get tons of laughs with Red Skelton, but we start with a chilling tale from the files of one of the most respected horror shows to ever appear on radio, The Whistler. It was an American radio program running for a total of 13 years, and it was one of the most popular mystery dramas of all time. For tonight's show, J. Donald Wilson was the writer and producer. Wilbur Hatch's 13-note theme was Whistled Weekly, by Dorothy Roberts for 13 years. Bill Foreman had the title role of host and narrator. And others who portrayed the Whistler at various times were Gail Gordon, you can recognize that name, Lucille Ball's future television nemesis, uh, Joseph Kearns, who played Mr. Wilson on the TV series Dennis the Menace, Marvin Miller, soon the announcer for the Bickersons and later as television's Michael Anthony on The Millionaire. The stories followed an effective formula in which a person's criminal acts were typically undone by their own stupidity. Ironic twist endings were common, and the whistler narrated, often taunting the criminal. The whistler seldom featured any major Hollywood stars, but the quality of writing and performance made it a radio mainstay. Tonight, from 1942, The Whistler and the episode Apparition. Wait a minute. Have you heard the strange tales of The Whistler? I'm the Whistler. John was here in this room. I saw him and talked to him. He had a message for me. And while he was here, the room was filled with the odor of musty roses. Another Sunday night, and again, CBS presents The Whistler. I, the whistler, know many things, for I walk by night. I know many strange tales, many secrets hidden in the hearts of men and women who have stepped into the shadows. And so I tell you tonight the unusual story of apparition. In the midst of a circle of tall, moaning pines spreads an old mansion... On the second floor, a low light burns in a large bedroom. The bedroom of Elizabeth Kemper, the elderly mistress of the mansion. Mrs. Kemper's husband, John, died suddenly a year ago and left his entire estate to his wife, Elizabeth. Shortly after John's death, Elizabeth brought her husband's sister, Bertha, and Bertha's daughter, Celia, to live with her. Since John's death, Elizabeth's health has gradually failed and she has taken to her bed. 
In the meantime, Elizabeth's only sister, Mary, has come to live in the great house, and Mary's son, Herbert. Now, long past midnight, Elizabeth tosses in her bed and mumbles. John. John. What is it? What do you want? Why don't you say it? Suddenly, Elizabeth's door bursts open, and Bertha moves into the room and stands beside the bed. Elizabeth? Elizabeth? Huh? Huh? Elizabeth! It's Bertha. Oh, Bertha. Oh, yes, Bertha. Why did you scream? Scream? Did I scream? Yes. Just as I came in the room. You must have frightened me. Were you dreaming? No, I... I don't think so. But I don't know. I... I thought John was here. John? You thought John was here? Yes. Standing there beside the bed. Elizabeth? I saw him, too. Just a moment ago. What? In my room. Oh, but that's nonsense. Why should he always appear to you? I'm his sister. Yes. Yes, of course. John was trying to tell me something. Something about you. What? He was trying to tell me that you should listen to him. Listen to him? Something about the property. What about the property? He says he made a mistake. Mistake? He says he wasn't killed accidentally. He did it deliberately. He committed suicide. Suicide? Why should he have done that? He hasn't explained that. But he says now he knows the truth about everything. He knows that his reason for hating me and cutting me off in his will was unfounded. And he's sorry. He's been trying to reach you, but you aren't receptive. You claim you've seen John every night since the day he died. I have, Elizabeth. I swear I have. I've seen him many times in my dreams. But why doesn't he tell me what he wants? Some night, Elizabeth, John will reach you in your waking moments. Then you'll believe me. I can't understand it. He didn't like you and he told me so. Why should he change now? Perhaps it would be best if Celia and I left you. Why should you want to leave all of a sudden? You have your own sister and her son, Herbert. You won't be alone. I only knew what John was trying to say to me. I've told you what he's been saying to me. Mother, is anything wrong? We heard someone scream. At least I thought I did. No, nothing's wrong. Go back to bed. Elizabeth, Elizabeth, what is this? What's what, Mary? Oh, dear me, I, I heard someone scream. What was it? Are oh, you all right, Elizabeth? Yes, Mary, I had a nightmare, that's all. Oh, well, I, I was worried. Better go back to bed, all of you. I'll be all right. Yes. Yes, come along, everybody. I'll see you in the morning. Good night. But, Mother, why do you keep frightening Aunt Elizabeth by telling her about Uncle John? I'm not frightening her. She should know the truth. But she is frightened. Why, she's getting worse and worse. Are you sure you have seen Uncle really? Do you dare suggest that I'm lying? Is that what you mean, Celia? No, no, Mother. I didn't mean that honest. That's better. And don't you ever say such a thing again. But why doesn't he appear to Aunt Elizabeth? She only dreams about him. That's something that can't be answered. There are those who are gifted with the powers to see those who have departed. See them and talk with them. I'm one of those so gifted. Do you understand? Yes, yes, Mother. John is trying to get a message to Elizabeth about me... And because he finds it difficult to reach her, he's chosen me as the medium. What is the message? He left me nothing in his will because he hated me and thought I hated him. But you did. I did not. It was his imagination. But now he's learned the truth. Now he knows I had nothing but his best interests at heart. 
He's trying to tell Elizabeth to leave all the estate to me. And he will continue to return to this house until his mission is accomplished. Then his soul can rest in peace. I'm frightened, Mother. I don't want to stay here another day. I can't stand it You'll here. You stay here until I'm ready to leave. Do you hear me? Yes, yes, Mother. I, I hear. Now stop this nonsense and go to bed. Yes, Mother. I, I'm sorry. You'd better be. In another part of the great house, Herbert is talking with his mother, Mary, Elizabeth's own sister. Now, now, Mother, get hold of yourself. Oh, I'm terribly frightened, Herbert. Why should you be frightened? Nothing can harm you. What have you to be afraid of? Oh, there's something awful in this house. I can feel it. I don't want to stay here any longer. We must leave before it's too late. I'll admit that strange things are going on, but I'm not ready to leave here. Not just yet. We don't belong here, Elizabeth is your own sister. I don't think John wants us here. You really believe that John's spirit is walking around this place every night? Well, what else? Then why doesn't he say what he's trying to say and get it over? Well, I can't stay here much longer. I'll I'll lose my mind. I can imagine John's not wanting Bertha here, since he stipulated in his will that Aunt Elizabeth must never give Bertha a dollar of the estate. But what's he got against you? Nothing. He didn't say that Elizabeth couldn't leave you a part of it. All I want to do is to get out of this house. Well, I don't feel that way about it. Why should you walk out and leave everything to Bertha? Well, that's why John's staying around here. He doesn't want anyone here. Well, ghost or no ghost, I'm not walking out at a time like this. Then, then I will. I'm leaving here tomorrow. Oh, no. No, you're not leaving. We're both staying until, until Aunt Elizabeth makes her will. You're staying here whether you like it or not. You hear? Yes, Herbert. But nothing good will come of it. I'm convinced of that. (laughs) No? Well, we'll see about that. Good night, Mother. An hour later, Mary has finally dropped off to sleep. Then, as the clock strikes three, a figure in white slips into Mary's room and stands beside the bed. Slowly, Mary opens her eyes and stifles a scream. Who is it? What do you want? I want to talk to you, Mary. Bertha. I have a message for you. A message? Yes. John is here, standing beside me. I I don't see anyone. He is here. What, What is the message? John says that Elizabeth is planning to leave the estate to you. But he's learned the truth. He knows that his dislike for me was unfounded. He wants the estate left to me, because it's rightfully mine. And he'll never be able to rest in peace until that is accomplished. Oh, I, I don't want it. I don't want any part of it. Then estate. if you want to escape this torment, you must convince your sister that John made a mistake. If you accept any part of it, John will never let you rest. Do you understand? Yes, 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 I understand. Very well, we'll leave you now. Good night. What? Wake up. Oh, Mary, what's wrong? You're shaking like a leaf. He he was in my room. Who? John, he was in my room. Mary, what are you saying? He had a message. He said you were planning to leave your estate to me, according to his will. But he made a mistake about Bertha. He wanted you to leave it to her. So he can rest in peace. Mary, are you out of your mind? No, no, you must believe me. I don't want any part of your estate. Oh, 
Please promise me. Leave it to birth and have done with it. I, I refuse to accept it. Get control of yourself, Mary. I'm leaving here in the morning. I'm frightened. And if you had any sense, you'd leave too. If you stay here, you'll go mad. Very well, Mary. If that's what you call gratitude, you can go. Oh, I'm sorry, Elizabeth, but I, I won't remain another night. Are you sure you saw John? No, but he was there in my room. Did you talk with him? No. No, that is, I... Well, then how do you know he was there? Well, Bertha told me he was there. Bertha? Was she there, too? Oh, yes. She she told me what he wanted. He said he couldn't reach you. Oh, why should John appear to everyone but me? Oh, I don't know. But I, I know he was there. I could sense it. I tell you, there was someone in the room with Bertha. It must have been John. Oh, let Bertha have the estate or something terrible will happen to all of us. Oh, please, Elizabeth. Go to bed, Mary. We'll talk about it tomorrow. Yes, Elizabeth. Next day, Herbert goes into town and pays a visit to Henry Wentworth, Elizabeth's attorney. Wentworth was also John's attorney for many years and was familiar with the family for two decades. Mr. Wentworth, you drew John Kemper's will. Yes, I did. Have you any idea why he cut his sister Bertha off without a dollar? No, but in the last five years, John turned against Bertha. Turned against her violently. Why? I don't really know. She was his only sister and he had no brothers. It was very strange. What happened to Bertha's husband? Well, he died about five years ago. Committed suicide. He worked for John at one time. Then John set him up in a business of his own. Thought he went to the wall and the crash at 29 lost every penny. Just couldn't take it, so he killed himself. He left nothing? Nothing but an insurance policy to his wife, Bertha. Didn't amount to much. Five thousand, I think. Were John and Bertha's husband on good terms? Well, apparently the best of friends. How did Bertha's husband die? To poison. Overdose of sleeping tablets. Oh, I see. But from the day Bertha's husband died, John, her brother, seemed to turn against Bertha. And shortly changed his will, cutting Bertha off. I was the only one who knew about it until the will was read. Have you any idea why he changed the will? No. None whatever. It was none of my business. Uh, yes. Well, thank you, Mr. Wentworth. I, I appreciate your telling me this. Good day. Then Herbert pays another visit. A visit to Dr. Martin, formerly John Kemper's physician. Dr. Martin is at first reluctant to talk, but finally answers a few questions. Uh, Dr... Uh, you were John Kemper's physician for many years? Yes, that's right. Uh-huh. Was there anything wrong with him? You mean, was he unbalanced? Uh, no, no. Did he have any severe ailments? Well, no. No, the last year or so, he seemed to change considerably, though. Became a bit morose. Anything wrong with his heart? Well, yes and no. Yes and no? Well, he, he began to suffer from severe headaches. Took to using a lot of aspirin. Was too much of anything's bad. Uh, he was killed in a car wreck. Yes, he'd been to the city and was driving back home late at night. Drove off into the ditch. Did you attend him? I saw the body shortly after the wreck. He'd been dead about an hour, badly smashed up. Was it his heart? Oh, could have been, but I, I think he went to sleep at the wheel. Was there an autopsy? No, it was obvious how he died. His skull had been crushed in. Mm -hmm. Who had he visited in the city on business? Oh, I, I don't know. I never thought about it. Where is John Kemper buried? In the family vault at the edge of his own estate. Didn't you know that? Oh, yes. Yes, yes. Uh, I'd forgotten. Uh, well, good day, Doctor. And thanks for the information. Uh, 
Then later that night, the household prepares to settle down to sleep. One by one, the lights go out in the various rooms. Now only that in Elizabeth's room remains. Will there be anything else, ma'am? No. No, Higgins. That'll be all. Has everyone gone to bed? Oh, yes, ma'am. They've all retired. Is the milk warm enough? Yes. Good night, Higgins. Good night, ma'am. I hope you rest well tonight. Thank you, Higgins. The moon bathes the estate in its eerie glow. The big clock strikes off the hour. Then, in the distance, there is the howl of a dog. A mournful howl of impending doom. John's dog crying in its loneliness. Across the lawn from the family vault walks a haggard figure in the moonlight. A figure with long white hair walking toward the house. Then a few moments later, the weird figure appears in Mary's room, stands in the shadows and points at Mary. What, what do you want? Who are you? I am John. John? Okay. I've come back to talk to you. You must hear me. Uh, I hear you. I made a great mistake in life. I hated my sister, but I know all things now. Bertha's a good woman. I'm doomed to walk this place without rest until I've made amends. Do you understand? Yes. Yes, I, I understand. If Elizabeth refuses to listen to my pleas and leaves this estate to you, you will never rest a moment under this roof, for I can never leave. It rightfully belongs to Bertha, and to her it must go. No, I, I don't want it. I don't want any part of it. I won't stay here. I promise, just, just let me alone. I will. If you and your son leave here at once. We will. We will. I... Oh, where are you? John? Are you here? John? <gasps> Mary gasps and suddenly falls back on her pillow. Poor Mary has fainted dead away. From the darkened stairway, the great clock chimes out the hour. Three o'clock. Elizabeth. Eyes closed but still awake, senses a presence and slowly opens her eyes. Standing close beside her is the white-haired figure, its face hidden in the shadows. No, no, Elizabeth, don't turn on the light. Who? Who is it? You wouldn't want to see me. I've been out there too long. John! John! At last I've reached through to you. Oh, I must be dreaming again, I... Why are you whispering, John? I'm not whispering, Elizabeth. Can't you hear me? Yes. Yes, I can hear you. I... What is that odor? Odor? Yes, a strange odor. Like... Like the smell of flowers. A musty odor of roses. Why? I've just come from the vault, Elizabeth. John! John, what is it? What do you want? You're going to make your will tomorrow. Yes, yes. Only you can right the wrong I've done. Wrong? My father left this estate to me with the understanding that I should leave it to Bertha. Yes, I know. I suspected her of wrongdoing and cut her off and instructed you to do so. Yes. But now I know that I was wrong. You must leave the estate to her. You must right my wrongs so that I can go on to my rest. Yes, yes, John. If you fail to do this... I shall be doomed to walk this place throughout eternity. 
And all those who come here shall not know a moment's peace. Yes, I understand, John. If you fail me, you too shall suffer my torment with me forever. Yes, I... I'll do it. I'll do as you say, only... I... John... Your heart, Elizabeth? Yes, I... You haven't much time, Elizabeth. You'll be joining me soon. I know. John, where are you? I promise, John... Elizabeth clutches at her heart, gasping for breath. A few moments pass, and she revives sufficiently to reach for the stimulant on the nightstand. She pours a dose, and as she swallows it, she glances out the window over the moonlit grounds. Across the lawn moves the white-haired figure, gliding toward the family vault at the edge of the estate. John! John! Elizabeth drops the glass and falls to the floor. A few seconds later, Bertha hurries into the room. Elizabeth. Mary. Herbert. What happened, Mother? Hurry. Good heavens. Is she all right? Elizabeth. Elizabeth. Oh. She's dead. She's dead. Who screamed? Must have been Elizabeth. Had another attack. Why? She's still breathing. Put her on the bed. Well, there's her medicine. i get another glass. You stay here, Mary. I'll get the glass from the bathroom. What do you suppose happened to her? Maybe. Maybe it was the... Was what? I don't... I don't know. What's wrong with you, Mother? You're white as a sheet. Am I? What are you trying to say? Well, I saw it, too. Saw what? What did you see? I I saw him. John. He was in my room a while ago. I I talked to him. You talked to him? Yes, and he talked to me. I I heard him and I saw him. What did he say? Stop whimpering and tell us. He said... He said... Mother, Mother, stop it. Stop it. Oh, I won't say it. I won't stay. I won't. Come back here. Grab her, Celia. Elizabeth's coming, too. Um, Aunt Elizabeth. Aunt Elizabeth. Oh, but I... You're, you're all right now. Just take it easy. Yes. Yes, I'm all right. What's wrong with Mary? She says she saw John and talked to him. I think she's imagining things. No, no. She isn't imagining things. I, I know. I, I saw him, too. He was here. He talked to oh, me. Oh, now, look, Aunt Elizabeth. The whole thing is... No, a... no, no. He was here. It was no dream. I saw him walk through the garden toward the vault. When? It can't be very long ago. There was a strange, sickly odor in the room all the while he was here. It smelled like musty roses. Oh, be quiet, Mother. Now maybe you believe what I've been telling you. What did he say? It was about his will and my will. And he talked about Bertha. About me? Yes. He said he was wrong about you. Wants to make things right through me. He knew I intended to make my will tomorrow. And he told me just what to do. Yes, that's what he said to me, too. You? Yes. Why, this is the strangest thing I've ever encountered. Why should he talk to you? Well, he did, I tell you. And Elizabeth must do what he wants. Otherwise, something will happen. What will happen? Well, I, I don't know. I want you to call Mr. Wentworth, the lawyer. And have him here first thing in the morning. I want to draw my will. As John tells me. Yeah, very well, I... I think I'll have a look around the grounds. Never go back to sleep now, anyway. So, uh, good night, Aunt Elizabeth. Herbert wanders about the grounds for a while and finally goes to Higgins, the butler, and after some persuasion obtains the keys to the family vault. The next morning, the lawyer, Wentworth, visits Elizabeth in her room. 
Well, how are you this morning, Elizabeth? Much better, Mr. Wentworth. Here you had a bad night. Yes, I guess I had another attack. Oh, so? Uh, Mr. Wentworth, I want to draw up my will. I should have done it long ago, but... Well, something held me back. I see. Well, I'll take down the data and have it typed, then bring it back for you to sign. I'll be in court all day, probably through the evening, so I'll have to come around 11 tonight. Very well, as soon as possible. Good. Now, let's have the particulars. Yes. To my sister, Mary Wilton, I leave the five-room cottage in Danbury. Mm -hmm. To my nephew, Herbert Wilton, I leave $1,000 in cash. Yes. And to my husband's sister, Bertha Mallory, I leave all other property, personal and real, amounting to some $400,000. What? Please. Amounting to some $400,000, according to my late husband's wishes. What do you mean? John stipulated that you leave not a penny to Bertha. John has changed his mind. When did he change his mind? Since his death. Don't you think we'd better postpone this until you feel better? I want my will drawn just as I have told you. But what do you mean by saying John has changed his mind? How could he? He told me so. Last night. You know what you're saying. Yes. I saw John. I talked to him. He was wrong in his attitude toward Bertha. Oh, this is... this is ridiculous. I want it done as I say. Very well. I'll draw it up this way. But I certainly think that... You think I'm insane? Well, since you bring it up, yes, I do. So did I, at first. But I'm not. I'll be expecting you around 11 tonight, Mr. Wentworth. Yes. Yes, of course. I, I'll be here. Now it is shortly after 11, the same night. The lawyer has returned to the will. And Elizabeth has called her three relatives to her room. Very well, Mr. Wentworth. This is drawn the way I want it. You mean as John wants it? I mean just that. <laughs> I'm leaving the property that was mine before I married John, a small cottage, to you, Mary, and a thousand dollars to Herbert. All else I am leaving according to John's directions to you, Bertha. That's the way John wants it. And that's the way it shall be. You must do as you think best. I'm doing as John wishes. Hand me the pen, Wentworth. There you are, and I hope you all understand. I don't. Thank you, Elizabeth. Well, now that you've got it, Bertha, what good is it going to do you? What do you mean? How much chance do you think you'll have to use it? What happiness do you think it'll bring you? More than it would you. Isn't it rightfully mine? Is it? That's the way John wanted oh, it. Oh, no, it isn't. It's the way you want it. I had nothing to do with John it. John made a will. He's never wanted to change. Elizabeth knows better than that. Aunt Elizabeth knows nothing of the kind. This is my house now, and the sooner you leave, the better. You'll be living sooner than I will, you and your spooks. You don't believe in ghosts, and you never saw one. I saw John. Night after night, everyone saw everyone him. Everyone but me, because I'm not a dunk. Your own mother Mary saw him and talked oh, to him. Hush, John is dead in his coffin out there in the vault. I saw him. But I did see him. So did I. You wouldn't know if you did see him. We would. We've seen him. Yeah. Then turn around. Turn around, all of you. And look. John. Good Lord. Him. Is that John? Is it? Yes, yes. Take off your wig. Higgins. Yes, the butler. There's your spook. I'm sorry, ma'am. I, I... You, you can go, Higgins. I'll explain everything. Yes. Bertha hired Higgins to impersonate John. That's a lie. Higgins would never have done it if he'd known about the murders. I trapped him into it. He confessed everything. Murders? What do you mean? I got wise to the whole thing. I investigated the whole story about Bertha's husband and John's accidental death. 
They were both murdered. You're lying. I have the bodies exhumed and examined. They both died of an overdose of sleeping tablets. The very same purchased by Bertha at a certain drugstore. He's crazy. He's crazy. I tell she you, don't listen. She put the tablets in her husband's aspirin bottle. She was the one John visited. That night he had the wreck. She must have drugged him. That's why he went to sleep at the wheel. I didn't. I didn't. She killed her husband for his insurance. And John cut her off in his will because he suspected that she killed her husband. It's a lie. A lie, I tell John you. never wanted his will changed. I have proof of the whole thing. And the police are waiting outside now. You haven't a chance, Bertha. You're guilty. The police. Oh, what no, could no. all this do you? Where is your fortune now? They'll hang you. Oh. oh, yes. Yes, I did. I did it. I don't know why, but I did it. I gave them the tablet. Did Higgins know that? No. No, he didn't know. I... Oh. Bertha, she's fainted. Mother. Oh. No, she hasn't fainted. What's wrong with her? She's dead. Oh, Mother. Hand me that will, Mr. Wentworth. I want to draw up a new one in the morning. Well, there you are. That's the story. John never wanted his will changed, and for good reason. He really knew the truth. But wait a minute. How did you figure this one out, Herbert? You didn't really have those bodies exhumed, did you? I didn't have them exhumed. And if I had, there would have been no traces of sleeping tablets left. And there were no police waiting outside. I was bluffing. Working on pure hypotheses. But it did work. Yes, it worked, Herbert. And it afforded me a very nice story indeed. <laughs> Thank you, Herbert. You're welcome. <laughs> CBS has presented The Whistler. production was composed and conducted by Wilbur Hatch. The Whistler is written and directed by J. Donald Wilson and originates from Columbia Square in Hollywood. Next week, same time, I, the Whistler, will return to tell you another weird tale. Good night. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. Stay tuned for Red Skelton next on Theater of the Mind. You're listening to Theater of the Mind on Zuma Radio, AM 740 and 96.7 FM in downtown Toronto. Time now for the Red Skelton Show. The Raleigh 
Cigarette Program, starring Rhett Skelton with David Forrester and his orchestra, our singing star Anita Ellis, Gigi Pearson, Verna Felton, Pat McGeehan, and yours truly, Rod O'Connor. It's a pleasure to bring you Metro Golden Mayor's popular player and the star of the Raleigh Cigarette Program, Red Skelton. Thank you. Thank you. Somebody thinks it's a hog calling contest over here. <laughs> Thank you and good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Well, Rod, what's new with you? Oh, nothing much, Red. I've been reading a book entitled Advancement of Science by Farnsworth Aislop. Oh, you mean Jimmy Starr's little boy, huh? Uh-huh. <laughs> Any good? Oh, yes. Say, did you know, scientifically speaking, that love is merely an increase in blood pressure and pulse rate? You can get the same effect by touching your toes ten times. Oh, come now. Surely you've left something out. <laughs> and you know, until I read that book, I never realized how amazing mechanical inventions are. Oh. Take my electric toaster, for instance. Oh. Or take my record changer. Or take my typewriter. You got any white shirts? <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to go get my truck. I can't get all the way. You know, the two greatest scientific advancements are plastic surgery and television. Oh, well, they go hand in hand. You know, when television gets in, I'm going to need plastic surgery. Well, I won't need plastic surgery. Uh, you'll need a girdle. <laughs> Either that or they have to show you in sections. <laughs> I can just hear a program coming on now and saying, Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. We now present Rod O'Connor in 10 episodes. <laughs> See, I couldn't get it all in myself. <laughs> how far off television really is. Well, Red, in less than three years, your face will be in everybody's living room. No kidding. Mm -hmm. That's one of the dirtiest tricks science has... (laughs) You know, television's going to be wonderful. Not only will you be able to see the man in the street broadcast, but you're going to see him killed by a hit-and-run driver. (laughs) Well, you know, some people believe television sets will have coin slots on them. No? You pay to see a program. You know, Remember the jukebox? Oh, yeah, that's going to be something, isn't it? You drop a quarter in a slot, you'll get Bob Hope. You drop 50 cents, you get Alan Young. 75 cents, you get uh, Fred Allen. Dollar, you get Red Skelton. <laughs> and 95 cents change. <laughs> you know, they're also working on an invention where you can drop a dime in a slot and get a sample of the product you're listening to? Oh, well, now that's really going to save a lot of people from running down to the corner drugstore in their pajamas, you know. <laughs> They always say, right, get, get, get that tonight. You know? <laughs> Can you imagine being listening to some face cream program, see? And you drop a dime in the slot, and Lord Esther's wife lets you have it right in the kitchen. <laughs> Now, Anita Ellis sings More Than You Know. More than you know, more than you know, man of my heart, I love you so. Lately, 
entitled it pays to look well our characters are fictional if there's any similarity to persons living living conditions ain't too good are they <laughs> chapter 134 is entitled the cowboy and the tailor this is the story of dead eye who finds that clothes don't make the man like yours, McGregor. Old Sardo here, eh? It's pretty hard to handle. Well, I'll tell you, did I? Maybe that big saddle bothers him. What big saddle? I'm riding him bareback. <laughs> Ooh! Well, maybe he's hard of hearing. Ooh! Shoot your gun beside his ear. He should hear that. Did you say beside it or in it? <laughs> Oh, he's all right. That bullet's like everything else with him. In one ear and right out the other. <laughs> Let's tie him up over here in the shade, huh? Well, the old town looks the same. Yeah. Yeah, what are you playing? Now, you ought to know me better than that. Women. W-E-M-N. Women. <laughs> you don't look very presentable to be talking to women. Look at your shirt. It's all dirty and your spats is ragged. What spats? Oh, them darn long underwear. They slipped again. <laughs> I look pretty bad, don't I, huh? You look like B.O. Plenty's eyebrows. Before he combs them out. Yeah? <laughs> you should have said John L. had been more striking, you know. <laughs> look at that, huh? Hey! I'm proud of that. That ain't it. Why don't you go across to Dominic the tailor and get rigged up in the new outfit? Okay, let's go. 
You know, I ain't felt like dressing up since my gal Ida Soda Storm ran away with old Jim Harkins. Ah, oh, good afternoon, gentlemen, to coin a phrase. Howdy. I'd like to get spruced up a little. What do you got in mind? Women, but I got to get some new clothes first. <laughs> <laughs> I want something that'll fit my personality. Well, I'm sorry I have nothing with poison ivy. Well, uh... <laughs> I'm sorry you said that. How did I? Put your guns away. Oh, they're a little heavy. I want to empty some of the lead out of them. Now, look, don't be like that. Oh, come on, one little bullet. I want to see if I can deflate that big balloon. Just a little joke, old man, no offense. Oh? Now, here, would you be so kind as to remove some of your clothes so I can take your measurements? Okay, I'll take my guns off first. I was in field artillery. <laughs> nice guns. Had a little trouble getting the wheels off, though. <laughs> well, now I'll take off my Mackinac. Now my, uh, Macintosh. Now my fur vest. Now my short skin vest. Now my wool vest. Well, I'll be. What's wrong, did I? You know that windbreaker I shot a guy for stealing a year ago? Yeah. It just came to it. <laughs> okay, take my measurements. Now, let's see. Shoulder, 29. Yeah. Waist, 52. <laughs> Chest, 25. Chest, 25. Now, wait till I expand it, will you? Well, that's more like it. Twenty-five and a half. <laughs> right arm, thirty-five. Left arm, twenty-one. <laughs> left arm, twenty-one. How did that happen? Well, me and my wife have twin beds, and she likes to sleep holding hands. Old McGregor. Yeah, did I? Duck over to old Mac Davis's place and see if Gladys is there. Will All you? right, did I? I'll be back quicker than it takes you to say Lumen Avenue. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the name Dead Eye sounds familiar to me. Just me, too. Shot a man, didn't you? Yep, it was an accident. Fellow opened his hotel window and yelled fire. And I did. <laughs> Where'd you hear about me? All round. Say, here's something you need, a kerchief scarf. I don't care for that. Look better than that tie you're wearing made of rope. It ain't no rope necktie. I just escaped, escaped a hanging. <laughs> I mean, they were going to hang you? <laughs> yeah, hanging was too good for me. They were going to hang me. <laughs> they weren't going to play yo-yo anyhow. <laughs> well, uh, how about some pants, huh? Oh, here's some. Would you like to try them on for size? I sure would. <clears throat> Now, right leg. Now, the left leg. You got a needle and thread. I forgot to take my spurs on. Hey, did I? Yeah? This wasn't there, but look who I ran into. Howdy, howdy, did I? <laughs> well, but... <laughs> if it ain't my old gal, Heidi. He ain't changed a bit, Heidi. Well, you neither. You're just as bow-legged as ever. Oh, I ain't so bow-legged. Oh, no? Well, then how come you're standing on both sides of me? <laughs> how have you been, Heidi? Happy? 
What's been happening to you? Huh? Well, that two-timer Jim Hawkins was going to marry me. But something stood in his way. What was it, gal? A wife and four kids. <laughs> <laughs> he cheated me like he cheated you. Well, I don't remember him promising to marry me. <laughs> no, but you remember the poker game he got you into. Yeah? Well, he cheated you out of your cattle and... Them poker cards was marked. With a hot poker, too. <laughs> you don't happen to know what happened to old Jim, do you? Yeah. Yeah, I hear he's ahead of a black market and lumber gang, but is running a clothing store to make folks think he's an honest citizen. Now, you don't mean to tell me that the gent that's waiting on me is old Jim Harkins. Stand behind me, gal. Don't move, dead eye. I've got my 45 pointed right at your head. Better stand in front of me, gal. <laughs> well, Jim, looks like things are going to happen just you, just like I said. Oh, shut up. No cheap dance hall gal's going to make a chump out of me. Dead eye, did you hear what he called me? Be a lady? A cheap dance hall gal. Yeah, I heard him. Well, are you going to let him get away with it? Yep. Hey, uh, now look here, it's none of my business, but uh, why don't you two go outside and shoot it out like real western gentlemen? Yeah! Oh, no. I remember Deadeye and his one, two, three stuff and how he shoots on two. Well, then maybe we could figure out a new idea. Yeah, fight a duel. Stand back to back. Walk ten steps apart, then turn and blaze away. Okay. Now, he ought to know better than that. <laughs> yeah, let's go. Come on, boys. All right, back to back. Draw your guns. Now stop walking. Hey, Dead Eye, stop following him. <laughs> I'm sorry, I hadn't noticed. Now start all over. Okay. Start walking. Ten steps, then turn. Okay. Two, four, six, eight, ten. what he gets for not doing his homework. And now David Forrester and his orchestra play One More Tomorrow.
chapter 135 is entitled Home Tailoring. The finest tailoring in the world is done by the mothers and the grandmothers at home. Of course, it's no surprise that the mean widow kid gets a cut-down suit. Hey, Grandma! Grandpa's gone. Can I take me cowbell off now? Yes, dear. Boy. Oh, my, you feel good to get that cowbell off. Hey, Grandma, why does I have to wear a cowboy belt when, when, when Grandpa's home? Because we like to talk freely, and you know too much already. Oh, <laughs> I don't. Can I run down to the candy store and get me a jawbreaker? No, dear. Grandma doesn't have a penny to give you. Well, I'm in the chips tonight, boy. Look, 50 cents. Look. Where'd you get that? <laughs> it's one you didn't find when you went through Grandpa's pockets last night. <laughs> now, Junior, I don't go through your grandfather's pockets when he's asleep. Uh, no, you better be careful, that's all. Grandpa says he's going to put a mouse trap in him. <laughs> hey, Grandma, what you got your finger bandaged up for, hmm? You stop asking silly questions. Uh-huh. <laughs> Did you get your widow finger caught in a widow mouse trap? No, Junior. It was a big mouse trap. Oh, well, looks like Grandpa took me suggestion after all, huh? I told him he'd get better results if he used a gopher trap. But I still don't see how I missed that half dollar. Well, it wasn't in the suit you was ramsacking, see. Oh. It was one hanging in the closet. Now look how black the flyer made it. Look, look. What fire? Well, now, don't get excited. I'm going to tell you about it. You see, there was a hole in his pocket and it fell through into the seam. See, so I had to burn up the suit and scrape the ashes for the half a dollar. <laughs> You're kidding me. <laughs> you just keep laughing, kiddo, that's all. I ought to spank you until you can't walk. Oh, yeah? What, you going to spank me until I can't walk? What are you going to do, spank me feet? <laughs> I knew someday she'd realize she's wearing my body out. <laughs> Junior, you're bad. No, no. I was going to take those old suits and make me something to wear. Well, your coat is still good. But I needed the pants to make the skirt. Oh. Oh, well, maybe I can make you a suit out of the coat. Oh, no, that's not But right. go get my sewing basket. Okay. I couldn't get the sewing basket. Oh, here it is, here it is. Can I borrow the scissors? I want to cut this picture of George Washington off of this green piece of paper here. No! Hmm? Put them down. What do you want to do, fall on those sharp points and dull them? Well, <laughs> Boy, it's good as love me, don't you? Now, Junior, run upstairs and get your blue pants. Okay. I'll cut the pattern from them out of this wrapping paper. Well, I'm not going to wear paper pants. <laughs> Goodness, I'm not a lamb chop, you know. Junior, who said anything about paper Goodness, pants? Goodness, you're going to make paper pants. You might as well cut... Two holes in a shopping bag and put me in there, you know. Put me arms through the handles. Let me walk around. <laughs> Stop acting silly and run upstairs and get those pants. Okay, I will get them. I'm going to get that shirt. I'm going to get that shirt. Now, let's see now. Where could them blue pants be? Grandma straightened out my closet and I can't find a chin now, you know. Oh, there they are. There they are. I'm going to hurry, but I could slide down the banisters quicker. <laughs> Anybody know where I can get a cheap retread job? 
Get off the banister. Now, don't you hit me. Grandpa said that I could slide down the banister any time I wanted to. Oh, your grandfather should be ashamed permitting you to do things that will hurt you. No. Oh, but then when he's sick, he doesn't know what he's doing. I know how to cure his sickness. How? Don't spread this around. No. Shoot his bartender. (laughs) Stop talking like that and come here. Doctor, I've got to see if this piece of material is big enough. Yes. Take off your pants. Here? <laughs> I won't do it. You're cold in here. Well, then at least take the stuff out of your pockets. Okay. You want me to empty my back pockets, Sure. Here. Hmm? Let me help you up on the chair. No, no, no. Don't grab me under the arm. I'm tickling. <laughs> Lift me up on my ears like a rabbit. <laughs> Stop talking like an idiot. Well, I can't help it. It was inherited, you know. Yes, and you know from which side of the family. Yeah, I know. I know, all right. And Grandpa agrees with me. <laughs> oh. If only you'd try to be intelligent just for once. Well, I will if you'll buy me a dog. Well, uh... A widow dog. What kind of a dog do you want? A widow black and white one. No, no, no. I mean, what breed of dog? He breeds with his nose, I guess. You want a mama dog, a mama dog. Oh, no, 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 you can't have one. They always have fleas. (laughs) Well, the kind I want has puppies. Now, Hmm? just forget I said anything. No. There. No. Yeah. I'm tired. I'm going to sit on the back of the chair and tell you he's ready. No, don't do that. It'll oh. tip over with oh, you. Oh, oh, oh. Oh, behave me. I broke me with a skull. Now, now, I broke now, me you didn't break your skull. Yes, I did. You had to broke me. Oh, poor baby. He fell and hurt himself. Yes, I hurt me. <laughs> he's scared. I did. Bless his little heart. Yes, bless his little Look, I put a dent in my head. Look, look. Well, stop putting dents in your head. It's hard enough to get hats to fit you. <laughs> now, stand still and you yeah. won't get hurt. Okay. Oh, where is my needle? No, here it is, here it uh, is. Mm. Go ahead, now, fret it, fret uh, it, fret it. Thank you. Yeah, now, fret it, fret it. Mm. What are you smelling it for? I'm not smelling it. It's dark in here. I can't see it. Oh, I thought you were smelling um, it. Junior. Your fingers are smaller than mine. Yes. Pull the thread through the needle, will you? Now, hold it down here. Hold it down. Where is it? Where is it? Don't, don't, don't look at it so close. You'll get cross-eyed. Cross-eyed? Is that why I see two needles now? <laughs> Junior, stop that. I'm not doing nothing. Well, look at your eyes. I can't. My nose is in the way. Well, the only way to straighten them is to tap you on the back of the head. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Straighten them. Don't knock them out. Here. Goodness. Junior, now hold this goods around your waist while I sew it together. You mean like that? No, 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 not under your chin. Well, I like it that way. I like my pants. I need, I need eat. I don't need a napkin. Just check my pants and my collar like that. Stand still. Yes. If I accidentally stick you with a pin, you'll listen to me. Yeah, if I accidentally stick me, you'll hear from me, you will. There. Oh, now. Stand still while I trim the legs. Oh, no, not me legs. Don't trim me legs. They're short enough now. Not your legs, the pants legs. No, no, the boy, for a minute I could see myself sitting on a Raleigh cigarette swinging my feet, you know. There. Now, the, the, the other leg. Yeah. There. That's funny. They're longer in the back than they are in front. Well, maybe I shouldn't have leaned over to watch you then. <laughs> oh. 
you next Tuesday at the same time. Until next Tuesday, then. This is Red Skelton saying goodbye now, and thanks for listening. And by the way, the policeman shows the 22nd and 23rd. I'll be there. Probably many of us don't know that half of all the jobs in the armed services are directly related to civilian occupations. Let us realize that the skills, education, and experience acquired by those in the services make them better citizens and more valuable employees than ever before. Red Skelton is brought to you by the Brown and Williamson Tobacco Corporation. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, as we close out the week, it's Nero Wolf followed by the Aldridge family. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great evening. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.